Want to hear more? Follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, or check out slutsandscholars.com. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta. And I'm Simone. And this week we're joined by Pamela Samuelson. She's a body worker and an educator, and her practice is called Embody Work. She found that the healing powers of somatic or body-based therapy during the transformation of her own wounds and chronic injuries. Her work focuses on the holistic and synergistic connection between body and mind and helps us to understand that the body never lies and that our fundamental act as intelligent animals is to give and receive love and fuck. Hi. <laughs> Hi and fuck. Well, because sometimes we say where we talk smart and fuck smarter, and I just wanted to make sure we were getting that in here. Yes. I appreciate that. We do other things in our we life sometimes, sometimes when there's time. Like, Occasionally. Well, so, yeah. Tell us, how do you define body work? Because at least in, in my profession, I feel like there's so many people um, that will say, like, I'm a body worker. And it's like, what is that for you? That, for me, is kind of a catch-all because massage therapy kind of doesn't really cover it mm-hmm. at all. I'm, I, I am a sexological body worker, so that is a part of my training. But before that, I was a, I was a somatically focused uh, touch therapist, touch healer. Mm-hmm. For I've been doing this for 19 years, so a long time. Um, but I'm trained in craniosacral and deep tissue and various TCM-based modalities and like sort of all of the things What's that TCM? traditional Chinese medicine. Got it. Um, so basically anything that I could, actually, this is the best definition. I'm going to go back. Body work is manual therapy. Hmm. It, it's like the catch-all for talking about manual therapy. So I would call a, a pelvic therapist, a body worker. I would call a physical therapist, a body worker. <laughs> people um, who work with the body. People, people who work, work with, with the body. Yeah. But not so much like spa massage. When did and you you're a sex, but you're a sexolo- sexological body worker. So similar to the way that Nicoletta is, Nicoletta is a therapist with a focus on sex and sexuality, you are a body worker with a focus on sex and sexuality. How does that work? What does that mean? Um, I have, I've specialized my practice to work with, um, with pelvic health specifically. So on the spectrum of things that I'm doing, I'm working on one end with women postpartum who have scar tissue and... Uh, people dealing with vaginismus and with other disorders. And at the other end, I'm working with people who are interested in exploring their arousal process. Wow. Um, and that is, that's really the end where sexological body work resides mm-hmm. um, and that we're working with different arousal states. And do you work with only vulvas or all reproductive mechanisms? <laughs> <laughs> people with penises too. I work with uh, I work with some people with penises, but primarily people with vulvas. Yeah. So, what kind of things uh, do people come see you for? I know you mentioned vaginismus, but for our listeners, um, what's I would vaginismus? Love to def- define some of that. Yeah, a lot of people don't. It's a. I feel like it's a a quote unquote disorder that is obviously not researched enough and not talked about enough, unfortunately. Nothing in women's health is researched enough or right. talked about enough. Actually, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's it's shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Can I actually, can I just tangentially? Yes. Had a conversation with an MD recently, this incredible woman who is, uh, she's an oncologist and she's very focused on women's sexual health after having radiation treatment and so on, radiation oncologist. And she was talking about how 
the only funding that's been given to researching women's sexual health in and after menopause has been since the advent of Viagra because it's the first time that those women's partners have been interested in their oh my god in their you know that now that in they can get it up sexual yeah now so that once they can we get figure it up, out the but, dick stuff let's see what's going on with women's health well it's just like if you can get it up but your partner's not interested and it's the first time they've ever noticed that then it merits funding. yeah or they have pain or other things wow yeah which was wild. Yeah, so I've I've had clients who have vaginismus, which uh, you could probably define it better than I can, but um, I I would define it as like a a complex disorder where there is um, tightening in the like vagina muscles, um, and this might prevent things from going in there or from penetration, tampons, anything, but it could be like tightening just around the point of entry, or I guess there's an even larger brand of things like vulvodynia, which is just pain in general around the area. But there's a lot of doctors, even OBGs and urologists and people like that who don't even know anything about it. And so I've had clients who go in and are like, help me with what's going on with my vagina, and they like don't even know what like, pain is normal. We're cultured to think that female pain is normal. Right. This is the thing about the orgasm gap, right, is that men are uh, acculturated to associate sex with pleasure, and whatever the statistical number of men come every time they have sex, and uh, women are are we're taught basically that sex without pain is is the standard for us, right? You know, this, yeah. I used to be a high school educator for Planned Parenthood. Oh, cool! And used to do you know, there's the five lectures, and I taught the the anatomy lecture, which is where my my like locus of geekery kind of is. <laughs> um, yeah, there wasn't anywhere near enough information, and I think this is the standard even living in a really liberal part of the world, mm-hmm. um, that we're given lots of information, but it's really fear-based, and there's actually not a lot of discussion. It's sort of assumed that the boys will get off, and it's not at all assumed, and there's nothing really said about whether or not the girls will get off. Yeah. Like and then people have all of these traumas and trouble with when they realize that they're allowed to get off actually doing it because it's been such a part that we don't even pay attention to. And right. why has the pain become something that's normalized? Right. I mean, I think of it when I think of virginity, that, that it's assumed like, oh, well, it'll hurt mm-hmm. the first right. time, though it doesn't have to. Right. right. Because women's arousal process is almost never discussed. Right. And it's very different from the male arousal process. And I think the way that people are being educated about sex, a lot of it being from porn, right. um, which is so, it's so centered on the male gaze. Mm-hmm. So while there are some people who might have vaginismus where it like feels like a wall and nothing can penetrate that, do you think a lot of people mislabel themselves with having vaginismus because they have pain, but they really just aren't paying Arousal attention enough? to their arousal pattern? Maybe. I don't know. I feel or like... Just not necessarily not paying attention, but maybe or just not even... respecting it or Yeah, people it. aren't even getting permission to like take the time to get aroused. Right, like right. it would feel painful to me if I wasn't aroused and someone was just like put Shoving their dick in me and I wasn't me. wet or anything. I right. would... And if you think like, oh, well, That's pain is vaginismus is. during sex right. or yeah. vaginismus is pain during sex, then... Right. Yeah, I mean, vaginismus to me has a really particular pattern where the vagina is just like a hard no. Like it's just, there's no, there's no fingers, there's no tampons, there's certainly no dick. Like there's no, wow. there's no openness to anything penetrating. It's like a clear refusal. And how does and is that it, happen for people? Yeah, would you say it's more, is that like more of a semantic manifestation of like psychological trauma or is it also like a psych, like a physical ailment or pathology or not. I don't know. I don't want to use any like judgy words. I'm just trying to understand. Um, I think it happens for all kinds of reasons. Mm -hmm. I think there's always a a somatic or like a, when I say somatic, what I mean is the presence of emotion or memory in the body. Mm. I think there's always a somatic component to, to vulvodynia 
Well, especially to vaginismus, really. Yeah, and, and when I think People when have, we're talking about pain, if you've experienced something that brings about pain, then you have a pain response cycle. So you're if you're conditioned right. to like expect mm-hmm. that something's gonna hurt, you're gonna tense your muscles up thinking that it's going to hurt again. Yeah. Right. And the response that I that I hear from my clients who come in and have seen doctors and other caregivers is that it's something to be fixed and it's something that, you know, there's like a lot to do to it to fix it Mm. as opposed to just slowing down to actually listen to the body and find out what's going on, which is where I come in. Yeah. So how do you do that? So someone comes to you with maybe vaginismus and, you know, everyone's, hi, Pam, help me. What did it, what happened? So somebody came in not long ago who had come from an OBGYN appointment that she'd been horrified by because the doctor was recommending a dilator, like was recommending like a mechanical dilator to stretch your vagina, the vaginal muscles. Yeah. And she had intuited that that was a bad idea for her. Well, we had had a guest, we had an intersex guest a few months or several months ago and they were given, what? Oh, sorry, go ahead. With a what? Go ahead. Oh, so so they uh, were born with gonads inside of them, and were told that their ovaries were just taken out when they were a teenager, but actually it was it was gonads and all of that. But also they had um, a very small vagina, and at the age of like twelve, was given like a series of dilators. Wow. Yeah. How was that for them? I don't think they enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I mean, they're very active in like anti um, like surgery and anti like and just right. normalizing intersex yeah. babies because it happens a lot. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but continue with this just dilator tangent aside. Yeah. <laughs> dilator tangent aside. But check um, out that episode with seven gram. Yeah. Seven gram. That's that's their name. Um so this woman came in and what we did essentially was just really slowly and really carefully and with lots of communication and lots of um just connecting with each other and and m- my guidance to just keep her in her body and not disassociate and not feel like she needed to do anything for me or, you know, didn't, there was, there was no performance aspect. We just really slowed down and started to make contact with her genitals in a really careful and slow way for, I think the first time maybe that she had ever experienced. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a strange, having received it myself as well, it's a strange and amazing experience to be with someone who is a sexological body worker or a pelvic health specialist mm-hmm. because it's maybe the only time that you haven't been touched by somebody who doesn't have an agenda. It's not a doctor. It's not a lover. It's mm, a good point. It's just someone who's wanting to not be... Not goal-oriented. Not goal-oriented. And just somebody who is there to be with you and witness you and touch you in a skilled way and be attentive to you. Yeah. And how do we define... Kind of like the episode in, in Broad City. Is that real, what you do? Which one? When know. Alana goes to see the sex, the sex therapist person to like help her come. Oh, it's great. Anyway... Uh, Never mind. If you haven't so seen it, so not a sex therapist. That would be a, either a body worker or a surrogate. Um, well, it's or, neither. Or a She's just like helping her masturbate. Got it. Maybe I, maybe this is not Broad City. I well, I want to watch it. That is either part way. of. But um, that's, how do you, that's part of the purview of sex bod though of sexological yeah. body work. Well, so I'm like curious yeah. if if you are comfortable talking more about like what exactly like physically contact wise like what goes down like how did you approach like touching this person's genitals for the first time in that kind of slow way are are you like in your thighs like is this comfortable and I'm assuming like ongoing consent and all that jazz or do you guide them rather Um, sex bod does include masturbation coaching as part of its kind of offerings that's not something that I do a whole lot of um, how does it work for me? Sexological body work has a code of ethics that I adhere to that includes uh, always being gloved. All touches one way. Um, one way meaning no one touches you. No one touches me. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and I remain clothed, obviously. And can you tell me, or for our listeners, about the code of ethics? Because it seems, I, I love working with people who do types of body work and working like in conjunction with them. But knowing that people can label, anyone can label themselves a body worker and mm-hmm. that there's not necessarily like a governing body watching over how people do it. How do you make sure that you're finding someone who is, who knows what they're doing um, and is doing it safely? Sure. Um, there is an association of sexological body workers that's international. The code of ethics is essentially to legitimize the work as being a part of healthcare, mm-hmm. a part of just like the care that we give to human health. So that sexuality is included on that mm-hmm. spectrum, which I think is quite rare given the legal status of prostitutes and other sex workers. Yeah. Um, so it's essentially to create a, a sort of subdivision where it's not sex work exactly and it's not uh, it's not massage therapy. In, mm-hmm. the, in some states it's different. In Oregon it's different. But in California as a licensed massage therapist, you can't touch genitals. Um, you lose your license immediately. So wow. the certification that we receive as sexological body I'm so workers. so grateful they can touch your butt. Me too. It's oh, my favorite part. <laughs> and how is there a loophole? Like, how do we make it? How is it legal? Because I think a lot of people would argue, like, well, isn't this just sex work? And while I believe that sex work should be legalized, sex work is real work, and, sure. and is real work anyway, like, and yeah. that it shouldn't matter. I think the fact of the matter is, how do we get around that and say that this is physical therapy and do that kind of touching in a therapeutic way and have it be valid? I think we have to demonstrate that it's effective, which it is. For all sorts of things, yeah. you know, that premature ejaculation is real and doesn't have to be debilitating for the rest of someone's life, that right. vaginismus can be worked with effectively, you know, that all of these conditions and and various other things and just that that a healthy and full expression of sexuality is a part of, hu- of the human spectrum. It's part of the birthright of a human being. Right. Yeah. So what is the work that you do? Kind of, I, I'm step curious. By step. Yeah, step by step. I would love to know. Sure. So typically, I mean, it really varies person to person. It depends on what what is happening. I was trained by a PT and by a bunch of other people in addition to psychological body work. So the PT sits at the side of a table. Um, I sit on the table. So I put gloves on. I get on the table. The person's legs generally are over me if this is a person PT with is- a physical therapy. Okay. Um, so I'll sit on the table with my legs over the table. The person will sit with their legs over mine. Um, I'll be gloved. I will have lube. Usually I use oil. And I will first touch them with no oil just through the sheet to make the initial genital contact. I'll make sure that they are ready for me. Um, we'll be maintaining eye contact. We'll be talking throughout that. And I'll have them breathe. And essentially are they sitting like, up or lying down? No, they're lying down. They're lying down. Okay, on, on so I was actually like doing like si- spider style on a swing and I like couldn't figure out how you were going to access no, the sorry. genitals. They're lying on a table. Okay. They're under sheets and sometimes blankets. And then you're also sitting on the table. And I'm sitting on the table. So I'm making sure that they stay warm. I'm sitting on the table with them. We're making some contact and we're sort of sitting root to root, but we're mm. not touching. Yeah. Um, I'll make first contact with them when they're ready for me to do that. When they're ready, I'll pull back the sheet and I'll do like a kind of quick visual assessment to just see if I can see anything depending on what they're dealing mm-hmm. with. Um, and then I'll make gloved contact with lube. And then it really depends. Like I do vaginal mapping. I'll What's sometimes vaginal mapping. Vaginal mapping is awesome. Vaginal yeah, tell mapping us is more. Yeah, we're just I mean, I feel like I know what when I hear it what it could be, but I would love to hear what that right. sounds like. So vaginal mapping is essentially sensation mapping around the vulva and around and inside the vagina if penetration is okay with that person. Mm-hmm. So it's basically treating the or discussing, treating, discussing the 
discussing the area of the vulva, the introitus, and then the inside of the vagina as though it's a clock. So we're working from 12 o'clock all the way around back to 12 o'clock to get a sense of where there's pain, where there's sensation, where there's numbness, where it feels good. Like, whoa. Like, what's what's there? That's so amazing. Can you imagine if you were Did with, that with every oh, partner? If, yeah, if you were, if or even if you just did this for yourself and you had your own map and you're with a new partner and you're like, I really love it when you curl your fingers at like 11.45. Right. Like, can you imagine? Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems so that self-explanatory just, just that it would be that. so so easy, right? Yeah. Oh, anyway, ugh, this is very Ooh. important. Can I, can I tell you one thing, actually? You can tell, tell us lots many of things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, only one thing, actually. Um, one of the things that happened in my psychological bodywork training that I replicate and do in a bunch of the different trainings that I offer mm-hmm. um, was that they did a kind of show and tell. They did like a gallery, which I now call the gallery that destroys all shame, where someone will get completely naked. I always go first and you can give, it's almost like be, like creating an art gallery where people come and admire your body. And so you can be like, okay, so I have a scar here. And I really love my tits because I think they're a perfect size and shape and my nipples are like this. And you can show people every single part of your body, including your vulva and inside, I mean, to the extent that people can see inside of your vagina. And then that, of course, continues with self-help where people can get to see their cervixes. That's Which amazing. So, it's so awesome. It's just. Yeah, it's, I do have a perfect cervix, I found out. Who you do? do? Well, I don't want to say I who do. doesn't Pam have a perfect cervix, yes. but what makes it perfect? It's just really cute. <laughs> yeah, I don't, don't want to body shame the other cervixes no, out there. No, it's not that they're, just because your, imp, your cervix isn't perfect does I mean, like, it's like, it's like textbook, like, I guess would be a good explanation. Or maybe not. I don't know. Textbook. So Pam and I are in this, like, women's health collective, and she taught me to do self-exam and to, like, put a spectrum in and, like, be there, like, all up there, like, with a flashlight and a mirror and, like, look at your cervix. And I fucking cried because, like, that's real and beautiful and like it's a part of you that is so hidden inside yeah, that and you've so never, cool. Most of us have never seen. You've never, can you imagine right. a part of your body that's totally accessible that to some see that some other random have. person has seen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole thing is take back the speculum, right? Like this yes. is a part of your body that you have total authority over but that none of us have ever been, that none of us have ever been told that, you know? It's pretty rare and amazing. The woman who, um, the woman who I founded the self-help collective with, Carol Downer, is the founder of the feminist women's health centers in like pre-Roe v. Wade in the early 70s. Wow. Yeah. So this is history in a lot of ways. Yeah, she's amazing. She's in her 80s. She's super, super incredible, like sharp as a fucking tack. Yeah, but her cervix is a little soft. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would love to— I was just joking about the sharpness of the tack. Not that there's anything wrong with the soft cervix. I would love to hear how you um, found the healing components of somatic work because Mm. I've talked about this on past— Can we finish the step-by-step first? Yeah. Sorry. I just want to lose track of that. So so if I'm working with this person who came in with vaginismus, we're working really, really slowly. We can spend a full two hours just hanging out with my finger at her introitus and just talking through her. Can you define that? Yeah, yeah. introitus is the opening of the vagina, like the outermost part of the vaginal canal. Um, We can hang out there. It kind of in the same way that I understand um, people work with a jade egg or work with other objects, just like super, super slowly breathing, waiting for the body's permission. I wait for the body's permission. And if the person is saying, no, no, go ahead, but I feel actually like the body is refusing or if there's a tension there that isn't, isn't, like if I feel like the body's not talking to me, Mm -hmm. I'll wait. I'll wait multiple appointments because it's not about forcing anything. It's not about like shoving anything in or like making something happen. It's just about being present with what's there. Mm -hmm. Um, And my experience consistently is that when there is something like vaginismus where the body is being really clear in its communication, 
to not listen to that, to try to override that is always a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. In sex and in general, always. Yeah, that's a good mantra for life. So you have your fingertip at the introitus. My gloved, lubed finger is at the introitus. And what's the... I get that maybe you're waiting for a body thing to say it's okay, but what are you usually waiting for to take it further? The So the vagina, in my experience, will invite you in when it's ready for you. That is exactly what Ava said about fisting. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally, exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah, just, can you just, I don't know if you can describe or it's more of just a feeling or a thing that you see, but like it it's, kind of opens up. It's it's not that it like opens up like curtains opening. Just right? like, <laughs> like that, like the beginning I of the wish. show. But like a, re- a relaxation. <laughs> it's... It's more that it will sort of suction you in. And I actually find this when I do intraoral work as well. I'll work like sometimes in the back of the mouth if somebody's dealing with a lot of jaw pain. Um, a lot of something of great fascination to me. And part of what I teach is about the connection between the jaw and the pelvis. Because yeah, I find that's I in our list of questions. Mirror. I want to know. Yeah, so let's come back After to that in a second. After the step by step. So the vagina, um, similar with working in the back of the mouth and the pterygoids, there is just a feeling. Wait, where you just know, literally know the name of every fucking body part. I don't. It's incre- yeah, and you might she have goes, to define it for like people who I like. I don't what know are what are you're the talking about. That sounds like a, <laughs> like a, a dinosaur a species of yeah. like in it's, Star Wars. It's spelled. It's spelled dinosaur style. It's spelled with a P. It's PT. <gasps> oh my god! I hope that comes up in a spelling bee. They, totally. They um um. So the outer muscle, like the thing that you like stick your knuckles into when you're having jaw pain, is the masseters, and the inner muscle is the pterygoids. There's two. There's medial and lateral, so mm-hmm. inner and outer. Um, and the pterygoids attach the mandible, the jawbone, to, like, right up into the joint. And also We're to both th- just, like, touching our faces all weirdly. <laughs> <We're laughs> <squirting. laughs> I don't know about you. I'm kind of I didn't clean my hands yet. <laughs> Whatever. Attaches the... Non-sterile shit goes in my mouth all the time. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> this is the whole conversation about putting sterile things in your body. It's like, ah, it wasn't sterile to begin with. <laughs> Um, the pterygoids attach into the joint, into the temporomandibular joint, and also up and into the sphenoid, which is this amazing bone that's shaped like a butterfly that floats inside your head and houses oh. some of your master glands. It's really cool. We're all butterflies. You really are. Okay, but so we're coming so back the to the vaginist. So, so eventually it invited you in. Inviting so, you in. So I hang out, and it just will, sl- as, I mean, it's like befriending a wild animal. You wait, you know? The body, if we think of the body as a wild animal, because I think it is. Mm-hmm especially when something has gone down and well, the unconscious has taken over, we're dealing with something that's actually... Almost feral in a sense, where yeah. like if if we don't, you know, socialize our vaginas and like right. talk to them and like include them in society, it makes total sense that they're going to be feral. Oh. They're going to do... <laughs> oh, I like feral I'm just vagina. imagining this like really wild leopard pussy. I'm wearing leopard yeah. pants. I know, I think that's why I said it. <laughs> but like growling at you, like teeth, the movie. Oh, I yes. love that movie. But when she's relaxed, mm-hmm. everything's fine. Yeah. Don't and piss then her off. Try, don't try to rape off. her. Yeah. She'll bite your dick off. Exactly. Totally. There is apparently a porn movie from the 80s called Angel Above, Devil Below. My best friend loves this movie. It's like a super old school one. Okay, I have to check it out. It's a takeoff for on research. The Exorcist, but the vagina talks. Jesus. Yes, totally. Exactly. Oh, shit. This is going down a dark way, but I kind of like it. Let's go back to the introitus. Yes. Okay, so we're here. We're at the introitus and hanging out, and I'm just waiting, and we're breathing, and we're talking. And as I demonstrate- What are you talking about? How is this for you? Is anything coming up for you? Please feel free to narrate. I'm here. Mm -hmm. You're in charge. Okay, and so what if, um, I mean, obviously there's maybe physical boundaries, but let's say like a, a trigger or an emotional trauma reaction comes up. Where will you go with that? Where I will go probably is if my contact brings something up, I will broaden my contact. So instead of doing like a fingertip of the introitus, I'll like 
I'll maybe pull the sheet down and cup. Pussy hug. Like a hug. And do, yeah, like do a pussy hug basically. Okay. Like do a cup with my hand just to be present and grounding. And if it's really overwhelming, I'll completely come off contact and just be on her legs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really powerful that you don't immediately cut off genital contact. No. Because you're showing it's stay. still safe. Yeah. This is safe. And you're trying to like kind of break those previous pathways that associate that kind of touch with something negative. Right. But yeah. that's up to them. Of course. That's up to them. If they're like, nope, get, get off, then of course. Of or course. if there's Respected. any, if I have any sense, even if they're not saying that, if I have any sense that I should back off, then I do. Mm. Um, if I feel like it would be, because there's also that thing about like suddenly something happens and you're abandoned and I don't yeah. want to do that either. So yeah. I want to stay present um, and keep contact if I can. And then we just really stay present. And as they're able, they talk through what's happening for them. I ask a lot of questions. Um, I stay super, super present and tuned in with whatever it is that's going on for them. And we work through it. We work through it really gently and without, you know, without judgment and without necessarily even needing answers, Mm -hmm. but just looking for what's there. Just observation. Just observation because they come to that. Everyone needs to come to that themselves. Nobody can tell you what's going on for you. I don't want to stray away from the steps, but I think this fits in because, Mm. I mean, sure, it would be wonderful if we all had a partner who, like, took the amount of time that you take to, like, genital map and do all of that stuff. So how do we translate the work that someone is doing with those steps Mm. for someone to be able to talk about that with a partner? Mm. Um, Especially when you have, like, a if it's a, you know, male partner who doesn't understand that maybe it takes time. Totally. Um, and people are feeling ashamed about how to express what they need to slow down. Totally. Yeah, how do, how do you help translate it for partnerships? Um, some of it, I think, just happens when people leave these sessions and go home and just talk about what happened to them and what worked for them, mm-hmm. especially if I am on in a more... Um, in a more arousal-based session where somebody is like trying to really explore their sexual response. Uh-huh. So then they're like excited to share that with their Then partner. they go home and say, I actually just need to be touched in this other way. Like, let's try this and that and can communicate that directly. I also sometimes work with couples and we'll just like demonstrate. Wow. We'll have one partner standing by the table and we'll demonstrate something and the partners will be talking and I'll be talking with both of them and it will be an opportunity to observe in a really non-threatening way what the person you are sleeping with is like in their arousal process. And for a lot of men, it's totally revelatory because they have no fucking idea mm-hmm. how different women's bodies are. Mm-hmm. Women have no idea how different yeah. women's bodies are. You know, that it isn't just like you get a boner, you go straight to climax, you climax, and then you kind of have like your your drop-off. Women don't work like that. Right. There are so many phases of orgasm before climax Yeah, and, and, and after uh, climax. And for some people, maybe it does go straight there, but not for the majority, and it's just so different. It's super different, and I feel like actually most of us, and this was certainly my experience personally, is that I think those of us that that have been sleeping with men primarily or have slept with men uh, or were sleeping with men in the beginning, um, we sort of become entrained to like a male path mm-hmm. when that's not actually what's going on, and that's not where the, that's at least for me, that's not where I experience and witness um, the really like ecstatic capacity for pleasure in women happening. Yeah. Yeah. Like we just need something different and we need we need it pretty bad. What do you, how would you characterize it? Obviously it's different for everyone, but yeah. is there anything typically that you're just like, yeah. this should be fucking happening? Yeah, totally. Well, first of all, nobody, like very, very few people have any idea. And I'm going to say that this includes doctors because medical training does not include this because yeah. medical illustrations do not include this. Nobody fucking has any idea of the extent of the clitoris. Oh, how big it is? 
Okay, so Rebecca like Chalker. Like space? Just, okay, so the same amount of erectile tissue in a man. Right, we have. We have, but it's internal and it's distributed really differently. And I, like, it's really rare to find a human being who is aware of that and is aware of it not just as a theory, but actually in their body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some yeah. people come to it spontaneously because they started masturbating as a kid and they just, like, did a lot of really great exploring without right. being interrupted or shamed. Yeah. yeah. So, pe- like, women that know about their bulbs— Women that know about the vestibular bulbs and know that they can get rock hard when they're turned on. Women that know about like where the legs are and where the not the G spot even because not it's not the really bulbs a spot. Or the but legs. The, oh no, maybe I don't know. Okay, so the clit, the clit that we so know. I think of it like a wishbone. Right. Okay. So the clit that we know is the is the the nub, which is not everything. Is like what what Freud refers to as like the little penis, right? Right. So it's the shaft and the glands and also the hood. The hood. And the ligament that attaches it up into the pubic bone. Mm-hmm. Got it. Which I also consider to be a little be, quivering clit demo finger. I know, really but our cute. listeners can't see that. But look up the three D clitoris model to get an idea yes. of what we're talking about. Yes. So we're talking about at the very top, the shaft, the glands. So the same, basically the same shape as a penis with the hood, which is the equivalent of a foreskin right. if it's not removed with a circumcision. Um, below that, the wishbone that you're talking about, this is the vestibular bulbs which are underneath the outer labia. So dear listeners, if you put your if you have labia, if you put your hands on your outer labia and press in a little bit, you will be touching mm. your vestibular bulbs. So it's I like that. from where the clit is, you go down and kind of towards the opening oh, of I the like vagina. That so much. And there's these bulbs on both sides. I have felt that on myself and on others become like the hardest hard boner. Wow. Yes. And so I like the idea that I can get a boner. You can yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you do. And you, that's the thing. If you if you are penetrated before you have a boner, you don't have the same experience. Yeah, it's kind of like neutral. Yeah. If not sometimes, yeah, sometimes, sometimes painful, like sometimes neutral. Like, mm, okay, this is nice. Sure. Yeah. It's not sure. bad. Right. But I'm like, it could be better. But can yeah. you imagine if you were fully aroused that's before so penetration? Because I was I was telling this to to my lover recently and I was like because we were having this conversation and he feels like whatever it doesn't matter but it doesn't matter what he feels well, I, I, I don't want to broadcast kidding. it but it, it came out about how like penetration like wasn't really a big thing for us anymore mm. and I was saying and he's like sometimes I feel like you don't even really like it when I do it and it's like it's not that I he's like I know that's not what makes you orgasm I'm aware <laughs> but like I still wish you were more into it and I was like well I think sometimes you just give it to me too quickly. Uh, like I want you to like deny me penetration until mm-hmm. I'm like begging yes. for yeah, it. Till the, till yes. the which exactly yes. the vagina is, is sucking you in. Yeah. Which is I think exactly what you're talking about. I'm waiting for my boner because it like yep. it takes time, I guess. Yeah. 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 How do we get people to be more patient? Well, it is frustrating. I think for one, we throw out the word foreplay. Yes. Because it's not before. It's play. It's just fucking play. Like, Mm -hmm. that's sex. Yeah. All foreplay is sex. So if we stop focusing on penetrative sex as, like, the thing and the end goal, I think we will all just generally have a better time. And that's for young men and for young women, both to just be able to take it. It's better for everyone. It's better for everyone. And I feel, honestly, like, I have a pretty big beef with sex education as it exists. Like, I'm grateful that we live in a place that isn't abstinence only because that's just fucking stupid. But even as it is, the way that we are taught is really focused on, I think, trying to scare kids out of having sex. Like, right. Planned Parenthood teaches an entire lecture that is a role play of what will happen to you if you become pregnant or get someone pregnant as a teenager. It's terrifying. Yeah. Fear-based. What happens? 
they go through like the amount of money and that you're never going to make it to college and how hard everything becomes. And as a parent, I can testify. Oh, like ha- having a, parent, a kid. If, or like the abortion, like whatever it is, there's like, if you get pregnant and if you keep your baby and you are 16, these are all the terrible things that could happen to you. Oh, and this is like, I'm like, yeah, you should tell kids that. <laughs> well, I, but I not think, to make them not but have not sex. But not only tell kids that. Right, not only tell them that, but I think that a lot of kids, in my experience, a lot of abortion patients that I've supported mm-hmm. who are teenagers, who are feeling really guilty about it, once I have a conversation with them about how expensive a kid is, mm-hmm. They're immediately like, oh, of course. Yeah. And so I do think that that, that is an element. I agree that it shouldn't be the only thing. Right. It's not the, I mean, that is 20% of the curriculum mm-hmm. that That's kids, a lot. kids in Southern California, at least, were given when I was teaching Whoa. with them. That's a lot. That's Whoa. a fifth of the information. And yeah, and then I guess if you're told that, think about how hard it is to tell your parent that you're pregnant if you're like, no, it's the worst thing in the world that you could be doing. Mm-hmm. Well, if there's any stigma around abortion, if there's any stigma at all, and then that's the alternative. It's like, well, you know, what the fuck yeah, do you do? Yeah, lose-lose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all, it's, I feel like there's a lot of lose-lose present in the sex ed that we're given, and it just really doesn't have to be that way. Right. They don't do it that way in Northern Europe. They mm-hmm. do much better than we do. You know, they're teen How pregnancy How are they rates. different? They start talking very matter-of-factly about sex with kids who are very young. I think they start talking when kids are like six or seven. Or even before, just when you're naming things. Yeah. Yeah. There's a baby in her tummy. Oh, did they make love? Says the six-year-old. Yes, mm-hmm. they did, says the teacher. You know, it's just, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And so because I think everyone is given tools, like I hear this also from Icelandic friends, that it's just like, yeah, it's been really matter of fact our whole lives. And it's been expected and discussed at length that women have every right to the same pleasure that men do. It's just not skewed the same way that it is here. <gasps> and oh, because so porn unfair. is so ubiquitous and everyone's on the it's internet, fascinating how that's so much of the information is like from a male perspective. It's so fascinating how systemic culturization or whatever works so well. So would you say a majority, I mean, obviously some of the people you see are dealing with real physical health things, but Mm -hmm. how do you, I mean, I guess physical relates to somatic and emotional things going on, but how do you differentiate when someone maybe needs um, a different level of medical attention versus when it is somatic and something that you can work through? Sure. Um, I refer out a lot. I keep a really awesome referral network yeah. of people that I have either experienced directly or repeatedly heard great things about. So I refer people out all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, if there is a biochemical issue, if somebody is dealing with like a profound hormonal imbalance, I will immediately refer them out. And often yeah. what I find is that I can't... Like you were saying earlier, like post-cancer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll send them... It's rare that I'll send someone to an MD, although I do have a couple of MDs that I really love and trust for certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll send someone to a naturopath to go do a blood panel or I'll send someone to an um, acupuncturist that I love uh, who's women's health specialized and who mm-hmm. is really, really good at various things. Um, if that is a part of it, and I'll do that sometimes. When someone first comes to see me, we'll do an assessment. And if I'm like, I actually cannot work on you without causing you tremendous pain because you are inflamed. Mm-hmm. So I would like for you to go see this person. I'm going to... I'm going to give you this cleanse protocol and this diet protocol. Please cut out these three things and go see this person and, and, I'll come, s- back. and come back in a month or six weeks. Mm. And then when they come back, their body has shifted and we can actually work. Would you say that a main cause of um, pain and things that people come to you for are due mostly to like emotional and other cultural things that you're describing and just shame around sex? Or is it from something else? It's always a piece, mm-hmm. whether it's the predominant piece. I mean, I think of this very much in the kind of Rolfing language uh, of pe- peeling the onion. You know, and can you, for our listeners, can you explain Rolfing? 
Rolfing is a form of deep structural bodywork that was invented by Ida Rolf in the 30s and 40s. It's like a, an intense massage. It's a but super intense massage. More than that. And it's like it's very structured and there's Rolf 10 sessions. Lamal. What? what? Rolling on the floor, laughing my ass off. Oh my god. Oh, whatever. Sorry. <laughs> does no one else say Rolf Lamal when they see no, that written just out? So, no one no, says that anymore really ever. <laughs> I say that and whenever I see it written out, I think Rolf Lamal in my head. Okay, moving back to what we were talking about, That's Pam. So funny. Rolfing. Rolfing is like a it's like there's 10 sessions. It's very, very structured. There's like a very specific recipe for how to like free the body and get it into proper Ooh. alignment with gravity. I don't do that. I think it's cool. I don't do it. Yeah. All right, the image that Ida Rolf uses is of peeling an onion. So it's really like, where is the first appropriate point of contact from which we can begin to work? Mm. Got it. And if I'm touching someone and they're super puffy because they're estrogen dominant and they need to go and see somebody else, I'll send them off to go do that first. If the first thing that comes up is like a lot of emotion or if the narrative that they give me when they sit or if their intake form, I have this gigantic intake form so that I know kind of what's going on before a person shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, if they show up in their intake form, it's very clear that what's going on is very emotional for them. Yeah. I don't know. It's not something that you can, if it is something somatic, it's not something that you can sort of like pin and point at and be like, this is the thing. And like, mm-hmm. and it's not a, it's not an equation to be solved. Mm. Yeah. It has to speak for itself. So it just depends. You're, the work you're doing is so important and, the, and it sounds like you have a whole network of people you refer out to, but as you said, a few of them are MDs. I'm really, but what you're doing is so important and I wish everybody could do it, but it seems like financially inaccessible for a lot of people, I would assume. It is. And how, how do we address that? That is a, such a thank you very much for asking that. Because my insurance probably doesn't cover a naturopath or you or anything like that, but what you're doing no. is so important. And like, right. an MD, like my gynecologist isn't going to help me find my G-spot. no. Although, if you know a gynecologist that would ever help you find your G-spot, I want to refer to them. <laughs> yeah, right? Let me know, too. Tell me who they are. My grandpa's a gynecologist, and I texted him about endometriosis stuff. I'll show you what he said. But then he was like, I'm not going to tell you the rest of it. You can look it up. <laughs> oh, my God. So what are some... What are some um, but how is it... How can we make it accessible? Right. How can we make it accessible? I teach. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of resources online. Um, there are a lot of books that are mm-hmm. available that have a ton of information about, you know, anything you could name, hormonal imbalance and... And it sounds Sexual like a lot function. of it starts with self-exploration and self-mapping too. A lot of it does. A lot of it does. And also normalizing that not only MDs hold the keys to knowledge and medical and, oh, and health. Right. And so if if the system were such that and insurance some actually covered give this you kind like the stuff, wrong key and p- force you to put it into the keyhole anyway. Yeah, for right. sure. But yeah. if we change the the insurance system or whatever, such as oh my god, where we recognize that like what you do is you know, medically necessary for health and the pursuit of happiness. The insurance system in this country, just to not like put too fine a point on it, is so <laughs> fucked that nobody nobody is getting anything really out of it other than the insurance companies, which are oh, for-profit terrible. mediators. It's terrible. Between people and their caregivers. It's super weird. It's super fucked up. I'm watching what's going to happen with this guy who was the medical director at Aetna. Are you aware of this? No. Uh, it turned out, this came out a few months ago, that one of the medical directors at Aetna, uh, this was came out in a lawsuit. They were being sued by a patient who had been denied coverage for something that was super obvious that he needed. Mm -hmm. And it put him in a life-threatening position. He sued. And somewhere in the course of the medical director who was in charge of this uh, being under oath and having to give a deposition, it came out that he had never, ever read, ever, a patient's chart. He was only making his recommendations based on the recommendations of nurses who are not MDs and are not medical directors. But he was taking all of his cues from other people's assessment. 
and never had any direct contact with actually the the patient's information. Wow. Um, which, I'm not which has started a whole rash of investigations of all of the Vetna in particular, but I mm-hmm. don't imagine that any of the insurance companies actually are that different. Right. Mm-hmm. What they're covering is replicable results. Right. And because and everything what you do is so like a one size fits all, right? Yeah, I can't do. I mean, I can do. I can do consistently excellent and effective results, but I can't right. do like because it's not going to be the same thing for everyone. No, and this. I mean, this was part of the rest of the conversation with the MD, who I love and who I was just on a panel with. Um, is that she was like, I spend so much of my time, my entire office staff is trained to spend so much of their time just lobbying the insurance companies to get the medications that my patients need covered. Right. She was like, 60% of my, you know, just some like insane number. And it's so hard to advocate for yourself in a healthcare thing when A, you don't know. Yeah. You don't have any of the education. And if you're in pain and struggling, it's Mm -hmm. hard to just access that extra level of motivation and energy to like advocate at another level for yourself. To advocate with your caregiver in the office and then to spend hours on the phone trying to get a human being who will talk to you who knows anything at the insurance company. It's so stupid. So if I'm someone who has vaginismus or is experiencing like any kind of pain or something Mm -hmm. and I can't afford to go see somebody like you, what are some things that I can do on my own? Specifically for vaginismus? Yeah, I think that's pretty common, or, or vulvodynia. Or, or even just a place to start, you mean, for yeah, for pain that hasn't been addressed yeah. by your OBG or something? Sure. Um, I would recommend that one of my teachers, one of my first teachers, is this incredible, incredible women's health physical therapist up in Portland named Tammy Lynn Kent, who wrote a book called Wild Feminine, which I can't, Listeners, honestly, like y'all, I can't. Okay, so read the book. We'll include it in the notes. Get a hold of it. It's so wonderful. She's so so excellent, and in it, she gives pretty beautiful and specific instructions for doing self massage. Mm. So that's a great place to start. Because and when I read the book, it was the first time I had ever touched myself, not masturbating, and was like, why did this? Why? Like Mm. I'm an adult woman. I'm a sex educator. I had just never done it before. It just doesn't. It had never occurred to me to do that before, and I was like, oh, this is. Fascinating, like, like a non-goal-oriented, like somatic go, like, self-touch experience, like applying pressure inside my own vagina the way that I would like massage my own shoulder Ooh. to just be like, oh, what's here? This is a muscle. This do you is think the that, core of my body? Do you think that people should be getting um, vaginal massages regularly, even if there's not something going on? I think it's super informative. Yeah. I don't know that they need to be like getting vaginal massage. You know, it's not. I don't know well, that like, it's like just a like thing. I want someone to come over and massage like my shoulders and my back all the time. Like, mm-hmm. should I be doing that? I think that you could, for sure. <laughs> Good to know. I'll take your card. <laughs> Something I end up going a little bit in a different direction, but I think um, it's important. Uh, I really love the book Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. Um, and just the mind-body connection. What are some of the things that you've seen that you've connected with some of your clients that they've experienced maybe like in an emotional, traumatic way and how it's manifested in the body? Mm. So this is great. I just started communicating with a woman in India. She's a major city in India, and she is a homeopathic doctor in her late 20s. So she's medically trained. She's been married for almost five years, and she got in touch with me because she and her husband have never successfully had intercourse. They got off to a bad start, um, where because she was a virgin, it wasn't super comfortable for her, and neither of them knew what they were doing. They were both virgins. And then she was maybe fearful of it. I don't think she was fearful. I think that she was just like, this is uncomfortable. Let's keep going. And he was like, no, 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 no. This is not right. Let's let's stop. Let's wait. Let's try again on our honeymoon. Mm-hmm. They tried again on their honeymoon, but I think because the, the it had already gotten off to a wobbly start, he then couldn't keep an erection. Mm-hmm. And so they've now been going around and like trying things and they've kind of fallen into a pattern of like manual stimulation and 
But now the thing that's happening and the thing that's kind of re, you know upping the ante on this is that their families are now pressuring them. This is an arranged marriage, and their families are now pressuring them to start having kids, but they've never had intercourse, and their families, of course, don't know that. Yeah. Mm. So she was like, what do I do? Is this important? Is intercourse important? What am I missing? She get pop dildo. What's it's pop dildo? A, it's a dildo that you can shoot sperm out of. I think that they should just get into no, good kidding. communication. I'm kidding. It's a total joke. But this you can use thing. pop My dildo. My jokes are falling flat. It's okay. It's okay. I know you're funny. <laughs> some, some days we're on. <laughs> Thanks, Nicolette. Okay, so you're meeting with this woman. Communicating with this woman and trying to recommend. She's across the world. I don't have physical access to her. I wish that I did. Um, but there's so... There's so much to recommend to her just to start exploring for herself. Like, do you masturbate? And she was like, no. I was like, okay, well, why don't we start there? (laughs) Because this is your body. It's not Mm -hmm. your husband's body. It's not anybody else's body. It's not the doctor's body. And this isn't actually a medical problem. Right. And this isn't, so it's not going to have a medical solution. But actually the thing that you can do at this point is masturbate and see what feels good to you and go slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, For somebody with vaginismus, similarly, I would say, you know, that a jade egg practice might be really helpful because part of the instruction of working with an object in that way is to wait and breathe and be present Mm. in this part of your body. It's not about like doing something. Wow. You know, again, it's just that moment of like, don't insert anything until your body makes the invitation and lets you know that it's ready. So that's Mm -hmm. an example of how a quote unquote bad first experience um, shaped healing that needs to be done. Yeah, totally. And I think anything from like having a traumatic sexual experience mm-hmm. to having something hurt one time mm-hmm. to, I mean, what, what else? Like, can you list just some other things you've worked with? Uh, a pattern of premature ejaculation. Yeah. Um, God, there's so many. Yeah, feeling ashamed with your body, not feeling confident. Yeah. Being, not knowing how to ask or feeling comfortable to ask for what you want. Being raised super religious. Right. Being raised queer and super religious. Pushing um, through the pain before? Oh, yeah. Lots of pushing through the pain, um, thinking that your vagina is ugly, um, having experienced... something wrong with your hating your body and how it's working or not totally. working. All, mm. kinds of, all kinds of body dysmorphia as far as, like, what you look like. Um, yeah, I was just reading a thing about young women uh, and the, the very kind of alarming to me rate of genital surgery, like ge- aesthetic genital surgery, yeah. which is so crazy. Labiaplasty is, like, the second most common cosmetic surgery now, or maybe Whoa. it's even superseded breast augmentation now. It's something insane. And it's all, like, trimming the inner labia it's so that the, the outer labia, it's, like... They've got the, they want the Barbie clamshell. The Barbie clamshell, exactly, totally. I the Barbie clamshell. that article. It's insane. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Barbie, or, uh, Barbie, hello. Peggy Ornstein's book, Girls and oh, Sex. Yeah. Have maybe you read it? That's where I read it, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's what it is. That's such a good book. Oh, yeah. I love Peggy. Um, wow, there's, like, so much going on. Mm. Literally with our vagina. Like, I'm just saying vagina. I don't mean vagina as in vulva. I mean, actually just our vaginas I'm thinking of. And I know you do, mm-hmm. you work generally, but vagina. like. Vagina. <laughs> but like, there's, we don't pay attention. No. That's really what it is. Yeah. So we don't pay attention. Mm-hmm. We're not given a lot of permission. Right. Space and time. And so it becomes a thing where we have to give ourselves permission. And then, Which after years of not doing is hard to do. Yeah. I think it just takes once. I think it takes seeing something or reading something or meeting someone who's or like, yep, to a podcast. That's, or listen to a podcast. It's like, yeah, that's, that's yours. Mm-hmm. That's for you. That's yours. Well, hopefully maybe our listeners can take this as that first step for them. Yeah, and I, I would love so. them to be able to get in touch with you and follow the work that you're doing. How can they find you? 
Um, I have a website, which is embodywork, E-M-B-O-D-Y-W-O-R-K dot L-A. Yeah. Um, you can write to me through that. There's a bunch of text up there. There's uh, some writing and a description of my practice and various it's other a things. Great description. And one thing we like to ask a lot of our guests is if they find that their work stigmatizes them. And mm. so I guess it's a two-part question. The first is, do you identify with what you do as sex work at mm. all? And I guess that's not if so, but in addition, um, how do people react when they find out what you do? And have you experienced stigma or shame? Um, I do identify as a sex worker. I usually describe my practice as being like two-thirds therapeutic and one-third sex work. But of course, that's only if you don't consider that sex work is a part of human health care mm. and sexuality as a part of human health. So it actually, wow, yeah. that's kind of, a, you know, that's kind of an arbitrary distinction. Sex workers really. are health care providers. They don't, yes, they are. We are. Wow. We absolutely are. Absolutely. hundred percent. So yes, I do. It's a great way to put it. And I'm proud of that and talk about it freely that way mm-hmm. with my parents and everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's super important. And the reaction of most people is just to have a lot of questions usually. Yeah. Like I haven't, um, I haven't encountered anyone being like, oh, you're a, I haven't, I haven't had any bad reactions from anyone so far. Yeah. Have you had um, people trying to make inappropriate contact with you, um, whether it be a client mm. or a pr- prospective client? And how do you yeah. navigate that? Um, I don't tend to do gen- any genital contact in a first session, especially with men. For that reason, it's just a filter that I have where I want to meet someone, I read their intake, I'm super careful mm-hmm. about who I'm with. And in general, with anyone, if I feel like I'm actually not a good fit for them, I'll refer them out. Right. Um, but in particular, I'm like, great, actually what I think you're looking for is something else. And I can refer them to a number of people who are sort of more standard sex workers who aren't yeah. at all therapeutically focused in the way that mm-hmm. I am. Yeah, which There's, is like fine, no shame, you, but yeah, that's if not you what want you somebody, do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. I want them to get whatever they want, but if what they want is a st- is like a straight-up hand job, I'm not that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I know great sense. people who will do yeah. that, so I would love Same. to send them there. <laughs> yeah. Your adult exactly. hand job. Your adult. Well, back again. Love it. <laughs> oh my gosh, Pam, thank you so fucking much for joining us. I feel like this was so informative. I hope our listeners liked it as much as I did. Um, as So as you heard, you can find Pamela's information on embodywork.la. And if you want to find out what we're up to, you can follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, and send us emails at slutsandscholars@gmail.com. Thank you. Sluts and Scholars. Thank you. Sluts and scholars. Bye. Bye.